Hey now, welcome to our Black Girl Songbook. This is the show where we celebrate Black women in music and the moments that make them. I'm your host, Danielle Smith. I was at Vibe for a good long time, and now I'm collaborating with The Ringer and Spotify to bring you stories about the Black women who create the music that we live for. You will hear in full the songs behind those stories. New episodes of Black Girl Songbook drop every Thursday. Listen exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. They say a gentleman always keeps his word, but I can't repeat any of the words that the weed-dealing, gambling, murdering aristocrats say in The Gentleman. Guy Ritchie's first TV show ever, only on Netflix, based on his award-winning film, The Gentleman series stars Theo James, my guy from White Lotus, and a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out, pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com and The Ringer Podcast Network, where we're launching Black Girl Songbook this week. You just heard the trailer for that. We also launched Sports Cards Nonsense last week. They've done two episodes. Huge ripples in the card community already. This podcast is really good. And uh, cards are definitely 100% having a moment. Um, this is my second podcast of the week. Third one's coming on Thursday. Million Dollar Picks. I know it's it's captivated America. Million Dollar Picks. Not just red hot, smoking hot. Like actually caught on fire. They've been so hot. We'll see if I can finish it off with Peter Schrager on Thursday. Uh, we we'll see if we can go eight and zero on big picks and and try to win even more fake money for you guys. That is on Thursday coming up. I'm gonna talk NBA at the top, and then CJ McCollum making a long-awaited appearance to talk about all things basketball. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. <laughs> All right, I'm taping this a little before 10 o'clock, Tuesday night, Pacific time. Just watch the doubleheader on TNT. Clippers, Nets, Celtics, Warriors. I figured a couple things would pop out of those games. And of course, a couple things did. Let's talk about the Nets first. So if you watch the Nets on Sunday night when they gave up 220 points to the Wizards and you think this team is a defensive nightmare, there's no way they can put together four straight rounds. You got KD in crunch time playing the five. I'm not sure that's what he signed up for, uh, whether they get a buyout guy, whatever. Um, they're small, they can't get stops and they're just going to try to outscore everybody. And that's, that's just, you left Sunday night thinking, all right, well, that's a 1980s basketball team. That's not going to do anything. Then you watch them tonight playing a Clippers team that I thought played pretty well. 
except for whatever the hell's going on at their point guard position where Beverly's out, Reggie Jackson's playing too many minutes, and they're paying Luke Kennard $64 million over four years to play four minutes. I don't know what's going on there. But I thought George and, and Kawhi played really well. And there was a moment in the game where about midway through the fourth quarter, the, the Nets are down five. It's 102-97. Durant makes a pull-up jumper. Uh, Harden has a turnover. Kyrie makes a three. Kyrie makes a two. Kyrie makes a 26-footer. Harden makes a step-back 26-footer. Um, then you have Kyrie gets blocked. That's fine. Kawhi gets a blank. Coming back, Durant makes a 21-footer, a little pull-up. It was beautiful. Harden gets fouled on a three. Durant makes a three. And all of a sudden, it's 118 to 108. And you're going, what the hell just happened? Not only did they just rip off 21 points in five minutes, but all of them were involved. And all of them looked great. All of them did stuff. And the ceiling of what was going on was really frightening. And especially the Kyrie part, because... When I was watching, I was thinking, it reminded me, I thought the 2017 Cavaliers were a fantastic offensive team and they're going to get lost in history because they went up against a buzzsaw in, in the finals. KD's first Golden State team, a team that I think is one of the three best teams of all time. And that's what they lost to. And, you know, they got the title in 2016. I think the 2017 team was actually a little bit better. But if you think about the model of that team and how good they were offensively, you have Kyrie in the Kyrie spot averaging 23 to 25 a night, can float in and out, doesn't need to be the primary ball handler, can have these four-minute heat checks where he just swings the game and you don't know what the hell happened. You have Harden in the LeBron spot, you know, and obviously he's not as powerful of a player as LeBron is, but same kind of playmaker, um, same ability to get his own points whenever he wants and the feel for the game and getting everybody involved, stuff like that. And the crazy piece to this is you basically have KD in the Kevin Love spot. And that's really the only coincidence they have. But KD has like the four or five. You can you can go big with him at the end of games. Uh, you can put him in the corner like they used to with Kevin Love. But oh yeah, if you want to run and play for him, he's probably the greatest pure scoring forward we've ever had. He's averaging 31 a game this year. He's the second league scorer in the league. And he can kind of float back and forth between 2017 Kevin Love and 2014 Kevin Durant. So when you see all three of those together, and then you have Joe Harris in the Kyle Korver role, basically, and then Jeff Green as the Richard Jefferson type fifth, it's, it's basically Cavs 2017 2.0 with, with the biggest difference being the Durant in the love spot. And actually, Harris is a better version of whatever shooter you're going to put in in that other spot. So when I when I think of them big picture, like I don't think they can beat the Lakers in a playoff series. When I just match them up, I just feel like the Lakers have too much size. There's no answer for LeBron. Durant would have to play unbelievably on both ends of of, of the floor. He would have to be the most important defensive player on the team, he would also have to score 30. He would have to match everything LeBron did. I don't know what they do with Davis. That would have to be, I, I think, a buyout guy. I don't. I, I just don't think DeAndre Jordan at this point in his career is going to be able to handle him. They don't have anybody. You know, you can't put Jeff Green on LeBron. That's going to be a disaster. They're going to have to figure out that piece. But 
the flip side, if you're, if you're the Nets is you're just making it a weird series. You just have to win four games. Your goal would be, you have the one game that's the Kyrie game, like the one we saw tonight where he had 39. It was the Kyrie game. They beat the Clippers because of him. You have the one game that's the Harding game when he puts up the 39, 14, and 17. And you have the one game that's the Durant game when he has 45. And then you have the one game when all three of them are awesome in the same game. A little like what we saw today where Durant was, Durant had 28 points. He was 11 for 13 from the field. If he's going to start doing shit like that, that I'm going to start raising the ceiling on this weird Nets team. But you think like, you just have to beat the Lakers four times. It would be four types of games. Could they do it? I think it's, it's not unrealistic. I still feel like Philly has the best chance. Um, they need there. That's another team that probably needs to make one more move, but I think Philly has the best chance to just kind of go mano a mano from a power standpoint with the Lakers, but the Nets have the best chance to have the weird series, a little like what the heat tried to do against the Lakers last year. And I think could have maybe done it if Dragic had been healthy. So, um, it was really thrilling to watch the Nets tonight. It's, it's, one of the weirdest collection of talent I think we've ever put together an NBA team. And there's so much offense that's staggering, but, um, it continues to be an absolute roller coaster ride. And I look forward to changing my opinion on them another hundred times before we get to the playoffs. Second piece I wanted to grab from tonight was just, I was watching Draymond Green tonight, wondering what the hell happened to him offensively. And I went on his basketball reference page which was both um, a mistake because it it just sent me in basically a tailspin for a half hour and, and I was barely even watching the Celtics-Warriors game. Um, but also I was glad I did it. Like Draymond tonight was one for seven. He had two points, 11 rebounds, and seven assists. He was the se second best warrior in the floor. If you look at that box score, you're like, wow, two points. He had five turnovers. It was way weirder to watch in person because he is completely given up on himself as a scorer. Like even when he shoots, it's by accident. And if you look at his basketball reference, his three point percentage by year, um, going back to that awesome, uh, 2016 season or to the, when the 73 win season, he shot 38.8% that year <laughs> after that. 30 30.8, 30.1, 28.5, 27.9, 21.2. was a, a baseball player of the Red Sox used to have, Dave Stapleton. And his rookie year, I think, was his best batting average. And then every year over the next eight years, it went down. And it was like the weirdest thing to look at in baseball reference. Draymond's basketball reference, I would put up, up there against that. 2016, in the regular season, he was 14 points, nine and a half rebounds, 7.4 assists. 49% shooting, 39% from three, and 70% uh, free throw. The last three years, just if you combine the three years, and this doesn't include the stats tonight, he's basically seven, seven, and seven. He's shooting 27.5% from three and 41.4% field goal, uh, 1.5 free throw attempts. And I, as you know, I always look at free throw attempts. Like in the 2016 season, he was 4.1 free throw attempts. Now he's won a game. He's basically Ben Wallace without the rebounding, except for he's their point forward and he's setting people up. And if you look at the advanced metrics for when he's on the floor and off, 
They're three points better when he's on the floor and they're three points worse when he's off the floor. I'm not saying he's a bad player. I'm just confused. I don't understand how somebody who was such a potent offensive player only five years ago, who's doesn't turn 31 until March. Um, and somebody who was even better in the playoffs than he was in the regular season, the playoffs in the last five years, which was 2015 to through 2019. So he put 104 games in those five playoff seasons. He was 13, 10 rebounds, seven assists, uh, 44% field goal and 31% from three. But more importantly, like he would shoot. You know, he was in 2016, he was 36.5% from three. 2017, he was 41% from, from three. You know, when he was open, I, I felt like it was going in. When he's open now, I don't feel like it's going in. It's also weird that his playoff stats, just in general, like his career playoff stats, where he's basically 13, nine, and six. And then if you go to his regular season playoff stats, he's, he's nine, seven, and five. I can't think of another player who's that much better in the playoffs than in the regular season. And then there's some disturbing stats with him around the rim. I don't feel like he was ever like an awesome finisher, but I think he was pretty good. And I think if you go back and you go through some of those 2016 games, you know, he was really athletic and he was finishing on breaks and stuff like that. My question is this, what happened? Because it's, if you look at his basketball reference page, which I, always feel like if you just do the, the glimpse, the blink test and numbers start going down past a certain point. Like I think JJ Redick is right like this now. JJ was always like in the 13 to 16 points a game range. This year he's at like seven. And if you go through the history of the league, when the stats dip like that, it usually doesn't come back. And I remember writing a whole piece about Jermaine O'Neal once when I think Toronto had traded for him. It was the second time he had moved. And they were like, ah, oh, Jermaine O'Neal, he's a 2010 guy. I'm like, is he? You know, it, there there was, we had a, some data at this point that he might be settling into a different phase of his career, you know? And with the Draymond thing, I guess my question, the reason I bring it up, because I do think it's going to be a storyline over these next few days is, is he settling into a different point of his career or is something just weird happening that might just be an aberration? Like, look at uh, Jermaine O'Neal. He was 24 a game in 2005, 20 a game in 06, 19 a game in 07, and it dropped to 13.6 in 2008 in Indy. And then he went to Miami, he was still at 13. Um, and, and Toronto and... Um, it's just like some, sometimes that's what happens. That's who, who you are. I don't know if this is who Draymond is. I don't know if this is a slump. I don't know if he psyched himself out offensively. But the weird thing is they really need his offense. So you can make the case, look, the reason he was so good in the mid-2010s was because he was surrounded by great players. Now that he's not surrounded by as good players, he's not good enough to kind of make up for it. I don't believe that. I, I don't understand. He's shooting 34.9% this year. You know, he shot 49% in 2016. So whatever's going on, I think it's one of the weirder basketball subplots I can remember because I, I think after the 2019 season, I would have said uh, Draymond's probably a Hall of Famer. 
he wasn't a Hall of Famer with the way his career was up to that point. I just would have said, all right, this guy's 29. He's going to have four or five more really good years. And he's been on all these winning teams. He's been on all these big playoff games. Hall of Famer. I don't know now. I, the the arrow, the way it's pointed down and, and the way his offense has completely fallen apart. So when we talk about like, oh man, that clay injury, um, the Warriors would have been a contender. I think actually they would not have been a contender even if Clay had been 100% healthy because I I don't know how to process the Draymond dip because it's a legit dip. I don't think it's a Draymond from 2016. And I'm sorry, but the league's way better now. You're not going to actually contend for a title with Clay, Curry, Draymond, and the other guys in this team. That's that's a team that loses in round two if if Clay is 100%. So the reason I bring this up is House and I were talking last week about whether it would make sense for for the Warriors to trade for Beal and Wiseman plus the Minnesota pick. I think they have to see what happens with Draymond over the next six, seven weeks before they decide big picture what they want to do. Because you could make the case they're better off trying to figure out what they have with Wiseman and hoping they strike oil with that Minnesota pick. If you look at the West right now, the uh the, the Minnesota's pretty much guaranteed to be one of the three worst teams in the league. They're five and fifteen. The next two worst teams in the West are New Orleans at 7-12, and 12, Dallas at 8-13. and 13. That's not going to last. OKC at 8-11. and 11. OKC, you figure, will trade some dudes and try to go backwards. In the East, Washington's 4-13. and 13. They're going to try to keep winning. Detroit's 5-15. and 15. Orlando is a team I think will potentially stink, especially with the injuries they've had. They're 8-13. and 13. But Minnesota's going to be a top three terrible team. That might not translate to Golden State getting their pick this year if they finish in the top three, but they might end up getting the fourth pick or the fifth pick plus Wiseman. And I, I think I would rather go in the, like not a rebuild direction as much as a just accumulate assets direction, because if clay coming off an Achilles and you also have Draymond, who's basically like this weird 2021 version of, of Ben, a playmaking Ben Wallace, who doesn't rebound as much, doesn't shoot free throws. I don't get it. Can't, can't understand it. I really can't. Last thing I had was, um, the all-star game. They were talking about, they're honing in on March 7th, I think in Orlando for the all-star game. Who wants an all-star game? I think this is the dumbest idea they've had in a long time. And I don't understand why anybody's not speaking up about it. It is so incredibly risky to put all your best players on the same court when all the stuff we've seen from the last two months, I look, I'm not, I'm not the pour water on a guy. I'm not the, uh, why we shouldn't have Christmas. I, I, I don't want to be that guy. I just don't understand the the point of forging ahead with the all-star game, which is never even that great of a game. It's fine. We can miss it this year. It's a 72 game season. Let's, let's keep our heads down and try to get to the playoffs without some sort of, uh, disaster of, you know, losing too many games and too many players getting scratched for different reasons. I don't care about an all-star game. I'm more interested to see who makes the all-star game than I am to watch it. So I'm hoping they don't actually have the all-star game because I think that would be stupid. And and they're really opening themselves up to something that could derail the next month of the season. It's not like COVID is going to be going away on March 7th. 
But I was like, I was thinking about, it's too early to think about the all-star game and who should be in it um, definitively. But what I did want to do just quickly, I think some spots are locked in and I have 10 guys on the East that I think are locked in and I have nine guys on the West. So I think starters in the East, Giannis, Durant, and Embiid, James Harden, I guess we're we're just going to forget those five Houston games happen. And by the way, he ignited the Ewing theory with Houston. I met with the Ewing theory committee the other day. Uh, we went through all the criteria. Superstar never won anything. Um, team getting written off after he leaves, and the team inexplicably playing better. It, it's the ultimate. It don't, we could see the Rockets in the Western Finals. I wouldn't be shocked. They they're the best Ewing theory candidate we've had in the NBA in a while. But. I'm not going to hold that against him. He's still one of the best guards in the East. And I think it's Harden and Jalen as the backcourt. Jalen Brown's just been outstanding. I'm glad everybody's noticed that one. So, and then for the bench, I have these spots locked in. Bam, Beal, Tatum, Sabonis, Middleton. So that leaves two spots that we'll have to navigate over the next few weeks for the East bubble, which includes Trey Young, Tobias Harris, Malcolm Brogdon, Gordon Hayward, Drew Holiday, Kyrie, Ben Simmons, Fusevic, Randall, Zach Levine, Colin Sexton. I'm being nice by including the last few. So I have three spots open in the East. Then the West, I think it's Luka and Dame, LeBron, Kawhi, uh, LeBron, Kawhi, Jokic, who's been, God, he's been unbelievable. League pass MVP for me, Jokic. So Luka, Dame, LeBron, Kawhi, Jokic. And then bench lockdown, I have Curry, Anthony Davis, Paul George, Rudy Gobert. I have three spots open. What's interesting about the West, not as talented as these this year. Well, partly because CJ McCollum and John Morant got injured. CP3 not as good as he was last year. Mitchell, not quite there. You can make a case Conley's just been better for them this year. I don't even know who I'd pick between those two. DeRozan um, has been has been shockingly effective, especially at the end of games. Christian Wood, SGA, maybe DeAndre Fox if he got hot the next couple of weeks. And the way the Pelicans are playing, I can't include Brandon Ingram. It's a very guard-heavy conference. Anyway, I have nine spots locked in for the West and 10 for the East. And I think the rest of it shakes out um, over the next couple of weeks. We'll see. It's a little too early to be talking about it, but it's fun to think who'd lock, lock stuff in. Last thing, I just noticed like looking at the standing because we're past the 20 game mark and Miami's at seven and 13 and Dallas is at eight and 13. And you think, well, it's early. Eh, it's not really that early. Miami needs to go 29 and 23 the rest of the way just to go 500. And you know, you know how it goes with the league. You have one hamstring pull, one COVID guy. It's, it's really hard to make up this ground. You have to make the top six. If you're Miami, you don't want to be in the play-in for any reason, under any circumstances. I think there's five guaranteed playoff teams in the East. Philly right now is 15 and six. Brooklyn's 14 and nine. Milwaukee's 12 and eight. Indiana's 12 and nine. Boston is 11 and eight now. After that, that six spots probably open. Atlanta's in there at 10 and 10. So Miami's only three games behind them. It's not like this is desperate, but you kind of want to start to get going pretty soon. Same thing for Toronto at nine and 12. They're, you know, it's fine. I don't want to be in the play-in tournament if I'm any of these teams. You know who I don't want to see in the play-in tournament? Charlotte. I don't want to play Charlotte in the 7-10 game. If you watch Charlotte, Malik Mock, who I never gave up on, came in the other day and had like 38 points. 
but they have a lot of scoring and I would not want to see them in a playing game. And I, I think one of the reasons I love the play-in tournament, it gives this extra weight and fear to the regular season where there's real urgency. Before it was just like, ah, we just got to get in. We just got to get an eight seed. We don't care who we play. Now it's like, well, you know what I don't want is the nine seed where I have to win two games just to get in. And then if I get in, I have to play one of the best teams. I have to play either Philly or Brooklyn or Milwaukee. Um, I don't know if Miami can fuck around much longer is my point. Seven and 13, you got to get going pretty soon. Dallas is a different story because, you know, Miami had COVID injuries, all kinds of things. Dallas had the same kind of COVID injuries, all these, you know, the same kind of things, except for when you saw Miami's team back at full strength, it looked good. It looked like last year's Miami team. You saw Dallas at full strength and I still had questions, even though they look better in those two Suns games. And I watched all of the second Suns game and a lot of the first one. Porzingis does not look the same. He does not get to the free throw line the same way he used to. And he does not shoot threes the way he used to. And it just looks like he moves differently. So you have that. The Seth Curry-Richardson trade, which I thought was a good trade. And Richardson's been terrible. Now he missed a couple games, but just in general, he hasn't been good. Richardson had one really good Miami season that if you look at his career stats, I'm worried that it was an outlier. And if you re look really carefully at the one season he had, that was really good. He basically averaged 20 a game for the first two months and then tailed off and went into the 15 point a game after that. My question with him is maybe that's who he is. Maybe he's just a guy who's 14 points a game, doesn't shoot free throws, get to the line. His three-point shot vacillates between 30%, 39%, depending on the week, and can't really create plays. I think they miss Seth Curry. I, I do. And I know he wasn't like a 40 minutes a game guy, but he he kind of pushed them over the top from a three-point standpoint where you just felt like there were so many different threats on the floor. Luca has not shot the three very well. And I don't think he's played well for by his standards so far. He's a guy that could go completely bonkers at any point for a two-week stretch. But it just doesn't feel like he has the same kind of spacing around him. And you watch the second Suns game, he created good shots for guys and they just missed him down the stretch. They weren't missing those shots last year when they had the number one offense. So I am more dubious that Dallas can make up all this ground than, uh, than Miami. I think, I think Miami will get in there. Cause you think like, you know, Atlanta, Charlotte, Cleveland, the Knicks, they'll, they'll jump those teams. I think Miami will be fine. Ultimately. I don't think they can fuck around anymore. Dallas. I worry about you got the clips, Utah Lakers, Denver. I think Phoenix is there. I think Portland will be there. Portland's resilient as we're going to cover with CJ in a second. You got Houston and Memphis as just wild cards because Ja still doesn't look healthy to me. They're getting Jaron Jackson back, Justice Winslow back. Um, San Antonio just doesn't go away. They're like one of those boxers. They're like uh, when Julio Cesar Chavez fought 10 years past, or, past we ever thought he was going to fight. Um, and I'm worried about Dallas. The other thing with them, I don't know what their moves are. What do you do? You have Hardaway as an expiring contract. You can't really trade your picks. What do you do? How do you make the team better? You just got to cross your fingers that when Maxi Kleber is finally playing again, you have your full team. You can go on a run and Luca can get hot, but you don't know it. So the X factor with them is the Knicks have their unprotected pick as every Knicks fan knows and has talked about for the last two weeks. And the irony of if Dallas didn't make the playoffs, 
and the Knicks could get like a top 10 pick from the Porzingis trade while Porzingis has really looked like crap. Um, that would be an amazing turn of events because I thought that trade was abominable. So there you go. All right, enough babbling. We're going to take a break when we come back. CJ McCollum. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay. That can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, we're taping this. It is 4 p.m. PT. A bunch of basketball games just started. CJ McCollum is here. He is injured, so he is going to be like me tonight watching basketball at home. The last time you and I talked, Jalen Rose was there. We were doing the interview series for uh, the 2013 NBA draft. We went to Chicago for the combine and interviewed a whole bunch of people at the same time. I was all fired up because you were a Patriot League guy. As it turned out, you're the best best part of the history of the Patriot League. Um, but you were one of the people we liked. We we were trying to get a vibe who we were vibing with. And, and with you, it was like, there's something about that guy. That guy had his shit together. I, I think he, I think that one has a chance. And I was all excited because you're a Patriot League guy. And now look at you all these years later. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I actually remember it. And, you know, every time I see Jalen, he kind of reminds me about, uh, for one, I still remember some of the questions you asked me. Um, <laughs> well, we were asking you real questions about like, what are you going to do as an adult in the NBA, all that stuff. Yeah, I think Jalen was like, how are you going to handle being in Miami when you come from the Patriot League of Bethlehem? Pennsylvania? <laughs> you know, in terms of your game, how does your game translate and all of that stuff? And I mean, I was always confident and sure of myself, but I think going to a small school and making it the way that I did, I was just really, really at a, at a, at a, great, at a great space mentally. And I really understood what it takes to, to work hard and sustain like elite, elite levels of professionalism. Yeah, for me, I and I think history bears it because I think the drafts on YouTube, I praised the pick when it happened. But to me, you made sense as an NBA player. It's like I know what he is. He's a combo guard. Um, he's gonna be a good shooter. He's gonna work his ass off. He's a good guy. Like he makes sense to me as an NBA player. Some of the guys for I mean, you that ended up being one of the most famous drafts, I would say, the last 30 years. The the biggest prize in the draft, Giannis, 
goes, I think, 15th. And when he got taken, I think I liked the pick, but we were like, we don't know. We were watching the video of him. We had no idea. He was six foot nine. He was 200 and whatever pounds. And we didn't know he was going to turn into the seven foot behemoth. Did you even know him heading into that draft? I only knew Giannis because my brother's been overseas for 10 years. Now, this is my brother's 11th year um, abroad. So my brother actually played in the Greek League. He started off um, in Israel and played in the Greek League for a little bit. Uh, he played for Panyonis and another team, and he actually played against Giannis. Giannis was in, when Giannis was second division Greece. Giannis wasn't very good at the time. He was taller. He was, you know, huge, huge potential. But as the saying goes, he was a year away from being a year away. Like he wasn't yeah. great. And I, I don't think anybody's seen this. My brother, he said that he had potential to be good, but he didn't see it either. The only the player that I knew was going to be good was uh, Luca. My brother played against Luca and was like, he's going to average 15 or 20 his rookie year because of his pace and understanding. But Giannis didn't have skills. So it was hard to say, like, is he an athlete? He's not that explosive. He's just really long. And then he kind of grew into what he is now. So no one, I didn't see it. I was confused at the pick because he played in second division Greece and averaged seven points a game. I remember we thought Dennis Schroeder was going to be the first foreign guy. Yeah. And and then Giannis was going to be the second one. And it was right around the range when those guys should go. So none of us were like, wow, that's crazy. But it was just so funny watching the YouTube clips of him. And then you had like the Patriot League bias. Everybody in that draft had some sort of bias, right? Anthony Bennett, it's like, well, what is he? Is he a small forward? Is he a power forward? You had the whole, and eh, he's playing in the freaking Patriot League. He's How is that going to translate? And you just get Kelly Olenek was another one, right? It was like, eh, Gonzaga, who knows? And each guy you could kind of, pick apart, but that turned out to be a really good draft. Old Depot was in there. There's a lot of guys who made it. Yeah. And at the time they were talking about how weak our draft is. And yeah. Know, and they say that every year. And I'm like, you can't judge a draft in its first three to five years. You got to give it time for the best players to kind of rise to the top. And I think looking at the overall body of work from our draft, you got Old Depot, you got myself, um, you got Giannis who's starting to play better. Obviously you got Giannis. Um, we have a, a good variety. Steven Adams, you have a good variety of solid players. I think Rudy yep. might, might have been in my draft as well. You got a good amount of solid players who've made a lot of money, who've established themselves as NBA players. But then there's also guys who've been in and out the league. And there's a lot of guys who got drafted in my draft that are, that are playing against my brother in Europe right now. So I've, I've kind of seen the turnover, how fast it is by year five, by, by that second deal, 20, 30 guys are out of the league already. So you get drafted. Dame's already there because Brooklyn only did a top three protected pick when they traded for Gerald Wallace. So Portland, they steal Dame. Then they get you a year later. And now you guys are still together seven years later, which in in this modern NBA, to have two star teammates play together for four years is like a miracle. You guys, you guys are on year eight. It's like you two and Clay and Steph, and that's it. Everyone else just is like 2K. Yeah, it's... It's a credit to our organization uh, for trusting in us, allowing us to kind of grow together. It didn't start off great. I didn't start off playing. I started off injured. Uh, Wesley Matthews was there. Um, Mo Williams, I was basically like third string shooting guard, third string point guard. So I, <laughs> I had to kind of work my way up. But, but Neil was patient. I think Terry was patient. They did a great job of developing us and allowing us to kind of figure it out. I think that's the that's the thing you have to do a lot of times when you got two guys who like to have the ball in their hands. I think Boston's figuring it out. Um, mm. Two guys who are really good on the ball, both can play off the ball, but are selfless enough to let the other person go. Like some nights, Jalen Brown might have 35, and that's okay with Jason. He's not trying to take his shine. You, you know what I'm saying? I think our, our our relationship is similar to that end of the 
the trials and tribulations we've gone through, you know, losing playoff games, getting swept, winning some playoff games, hitting game winners. Like we've done a lot of everything to where we're comfortable in our own skin. We just go work hard, show up and do our job and let the chips fall where they may. And it's been, I think, a more successful run than maybe people realize because you're in the same conference with Golden State. Right. And then you have Houston, who was basically the third best team there for three, four, five years, whatever it was. They never even make the finals. The West is stacked anyway, but you guys made a conference finals. You guys had, I would say the rock bottom was probably that New Orleans series when they just demolished you. And then it's like, well, what is this? They got to trade. Then you have guys like, I thought you were mad at me because every time I always make up trades, I always have to throw you in a trade. And then you said something bad. I was like, ah, I got to cool it on the CJ trades. He, yeah, he, I'm making him mad. This is the first year where you didn't put me in like a Kevin Love or Aaron Gordon trade. And I, was just like, I was like, you just you try to get me traded every year, like literally. And I guess it's, I always tell people it's, it's a gift and a curse because it's, it's one thing for people to want you traded, but it's another thing for you to have value. Like if some people can't be traded, they got terrible contracts, nobody wants them. And, and, and in my case, I have a unique talent that is uh, wanted by the masses, I suppose. Well, I mean, first of all, it's fun to make up fake trades. I did a podcast on Thursday where I made up 11 Bradley Beal trades over the course of, uh, <laughs> over the course of a half hour with 11 teams. Um, I think with you guys, the question was always, how do these guys coexist? Do you need two awesome scoring guards on the same team? And yet over and over again, you, you've been successful. And then this year, you even seem like you went up. You're already really good, but it's, it did seem like you went up a half notch. Why did you go up a half notch? What happened? What did you add? Or you, was it just a hot streak? What was it? Something seems slightly different. No, it wasn't a hot streak because I worked at like the, the things that were translating. So shooting more threes, shooting more threes off the bounce, uh, playmaking, you know, understanding, you know, when to get mine versus when to get other people involved. Um, trying to get D off the ball more, like being like cognizant of those things. Um, having been having been in the NBA for seven, this is my eighth year. Having played alongside D as a starter for six years, but this being the sixth year, you kind of figure things out and you work at certain stuff. Working smarter, not not necessarily just harder, and then taking care of my body, understanding the quick turnaround of the season, and then understanding that sixty-two game season, COVID year, my focus had to change. Right. Yeah. There's, less distractions. You don't got to worry about tickets. You don't got to worry about anything. I got married this summer. So like my life is pretty stable. It's solid. Uh, I hire Did you a, check with Jalen on that about getting married? I've been, I've been with this, this, uh, my now doctor wife is a doctor since college. So it's not like, it, it, okay. my life has kind of been how I wanted it to be forever. Like in terms of yeah. like boxes, this is what I want to accomplish. Like I'm just checking them off. Like down the road. So this was the year where I really just got to focus on me, focus on my body, hire what I needed to hire. And it's unfortunate I ended up getting injured on the layup. Uh, but I definitely was, I've taken my game to another level and I'll consistently be able to do that until I retire because I know what it takes now. I know what type of work it takes, the type of mindset. How I played to start the season is how I typically would, would play in the playoffs. Like that same type of intensity, that same focus, not taking position, possessions off as we typically do in the regular season. I wanted yeah. to really get off to a great start not just for myself individually, but for our team because of what was at stake for this year. And then like you talked about, I am in trades every year. So there's only, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's twofold. Like you don't want to be traded. I'm happy here. I, I enjoy my role. I enjoy the city. You hear my dog barking. Like I'm in a great spot, but it's also like you're capable of this. So why not just go do it 
and challenge yourself to do it for a whole season as opposed to in spurts or as opposed to just in the playoffs. I think the way you laid that out was was really interesting because it's like the second to last piece, right? When somebody gets over that hump, like I just have to be this guy every night now. It's not cool to be a twice a week, um, you know, six times a month. I just night after night after night, this is who I have to be. And then the final, final level, I think is the level LeBron's at where he could literally take a quarter off and you, and he's the only person who knows, you know, yeah. like he can pick his spots, but you don't know he's picking his spots. Cause he's got a 31, nine and nine and he's just scored the last seven points of the game. But that you're, so you're, you've basically in the video game, you're the second to last level now, I'd say. Yeah. I mean, definitely not in that, that LeBron mode is different. You know what I mean? Only, yeah. That's, that's only, unique. Like, only a few guys can do that. You watch the switch. Like, even when he gets mad, like, 18 years later, the switch still can turn on. Like he can get, he can pretend someone said something about his mom. You know what I mean? Like that's the switch where there's no fans. You need something to get you going. Bingo. There it is. Like, do you see the Cleveland game when he, he got mad because somebody, he thought somebody yeah. said something and that was it. Yeah. Not too much. And he goes and scores 20 in the fourth. And that's a game where he might've just went and got four or five assists played through AD. No, he was aggressive. He started shooting threes. And I think, how I'm approaching this now is just like, it's, it's nothing personal, but it's, I've averaged 20 points per game, you know, since, since I've been a starter, like I can do that. I can get out of bed if we get 20. Now I need to be able to go. Some nights it's 30, some nights it's eight assists, some nights it's 10 assists. I need to be getting five rebounds defensively. I need to be in the right spots. I need to be able to call certain plays when we need plays. Like coach, let's run this. I'm calling this play. I need to get D off the ball, figure out how to get nerd touches. I think it's just, understanding the game more. I'm almost 30 years old now. The maturity level shifts. You understand what needs to be done to win. And I know yeah. how to score points efficiently, make my teammates better, still win games and look good doing it where it's like, oh, this is different. He's playing different because my impact is is, is evolved. Like I was impacting the game. Now I'm really going to impact the game in, in every facet. Well, the other thing that happened, you're in hard in trade rumors. So you you kept your streak alive of every year in trade rumors. But this time, like we knew Harden was going to get traded, and then you end up playing against them, and you guys have this awesome game. There, there, it seemed like there was some shit talking at one point, but you were like lighting it up, and it was. Listen, I'm just a dude sitting on my couch here in LA watching basketball every night. It, my takeaway from that game was like CJ's like, don't fucking trade me. I'm. <laughs> we have something really good here. I don't know. Maybe I read too much into it. What was? What do you remember about that game now? No, I mean, I had been playing well before that game. That's the thing. Like, I was hitting five threes a night before I hit nine threes that night. So I was I was in a great rhythm. I had worked so that you hear the noise. Like, people call me like, yo, you're getting traded. I'm like, I don't think so. But, like, you never know in this business. It's like I, I do my job. I get, I get up. I get my shots. The COVID situation has affected us practicing, but I can still work out on game days. Yeah. So I still go in. I get my work in in the morning, and I feel good going into the game. I see my PT. Like, I feel great. So I wasn't really thinking about like, oh, I got to prove who I am against Harden. James is a great player. I'm not James Harden. The way I play is completely different. He's unique yeah. in that way. Only he can do a lot of what he does. Like, I'm not going to ever try to go be that. I'm just going to be the best version of myself. And I think... But you can match it on the right night. Yeah. And it wasn't even like me proving who I am. Like, if you watch Hoop, you know I'm nice. It's just a matter of like, you go play against the best. You need to bring your... You need to put your best foot forward. Or instead of me having 40, him having 40, I can't I can't go guard this guy. He put up a 40-point triple-double, and I'm a two-guard, and I'm supposed to be an elite two-guard. So I need to be able to match that, and that's how I approach. You got to match up. You need to go out there and be ready to hoop, and that's how I am. 
And I think I rise to the occasion when I'm playing against Clay, when I'm playing against Brad, those guys, they're elite and they, they're supposed to bring out the best in you and you're supposed to bring out the best in them. And I think that's more so what it was about. Like if you could trade it for James Harden, like <laughs> you, got, you got traded for arguably the best two guard in the NBA. Yeah, like, that's impressive. That's saying a lot. That's saying <laughs> he's really good. But that's also saying like you're pretty good too for yeah. it to work out. You know, you mentioned knowing like having to be good every night and how that's one of the final phases. I think one of the things that's really helped you and Dame too, all the playoff games you guys have been in, because I've been watching that with the Celtics. I wasn't surprised at all by Jalen this year. I've I've been riding for Jalen since when they, he was in the Kawhi trade rumors and be like, hey, if you look at his stats first two years compared to Paul George, like he's kind of on the same track as Paul George was. I don't, I don't know about, I don't know if I'd want to give this guy up, but he right. played in so many playoff games in 17, 18, then last year that after a while, you just kind of get it. Did you feel like that happened for, uh, for you and Dame and some of the others on Portland with just like the amount of the volume of the playoff games? Yeah. I think you, you learn how to play great basketball by playing against great teams and it's the moments, obviously playing in the playoffs gives you that confidence. I've never been like shy away from the moment. Like those are, those are the times where I, I rise to the occasion. I play my best basketball since high school. So yeah. like, I, I love those opportunities, those moments, but I think it empowers your teammates, but you lose to a team like the Warriors, like the, the way they were playing at that time, it was just beautiful to watch. It was fun. Everybody was, was interactive. They were engaged. The bench was in it. Extra pass, extra pass. They get KD to buy in. KD's playing a different type of basketball. And it just looks so fun. And then you go play against them and it's hard to stop them. It's hard for you to score. And they're doing it while having fun. I think that kind of changes your mentality of, all right, there's a way to do this. You got to work extremely hard, but you can enjoy your job, play well, rise to the occasion every night, and then just go home like nothing happened. And I think we've gotten to that point to where no matter what happens throughout the season, we figure out a way to get in the playoffs and we make it entertaining. And we've lost to the Warriors. We've lost, we got swept once. That's the Warriors like three times, right? Yeah, three years in a row. And they won the championship every year except for, I think, one year the Cavs won it. We lost to the Lakers. They beat everybody else basically 4-1. And now here we are again, coming off of winning on the road in the Game 7 to go to the conference finals um, to being swept. But we've seen it all. So it's like... You, Who, know, you left out the quadruple... What was the quadruple overtime? What was the Denver game? Is that three overtimes or four? I can't even remember. Four. Yeah, so like we've done we've done all there is to do in this game but win a championship in terms of the lowest of lows we've had them we've been swept we've we've all we've done everything besides not make the playoffs <laughs> like on the bad side and then on the right. good side you get there and then you lose to the team that wins it all so it's like you're close not close not as close as you want to be but you understand like that that small window I was just on Sheed and Bonzi's podcast and I was asking them about the 2000 teams and like what was the difference between them and the teams that like win it all and obviously she'd having won it all. He was like, it's the role players. He was like, your role players have to be comfortable. You have to empower them and you have to be able to get the best out of them. And that's the difference. He was like, the stars are stars. Every team that's going to win it all has a, a Jimmy Butler or a AD or a Bron or a Steph, but it's the Iggy Dallas who yeah. are going to separate you. It's the Marcus Smarts, who Marcus is a really good player, but he's the X factor. He's the guy who shifts the game. Like it, it's that guy you need in your team or that group of guys who helps you win a championship. So that's like me thinking like ahead, like, all right, how do we do this? It's not just me and Dame. We can go score 60, but like, right. so what are we doing to help impact the game and what are our teammates doing? 
Yeah, the 08 Celtics were like that. They end up winning the title because of Posey and House and P.J. Brown. Because basically, right. when you get to a certain level of the playoffs, every, every team's going to have three really good guys, you know? And then it's it's the four through nine guys. That's why it's been so interesting to watch Milwaukee this year. Because they've really, you know, they after their top three, their bench has completely changed, you know? And different guys in different roles and just... Wondering how that's going to shape out. The Celtics are going through that too. You mentioned um, Jalen and, and Tatum before, who've been together now for a few years. And it does remind me a little of you and Dame, where it's not like a dueling banjos thing. It's not like, I shot this time, so you you shoot this time. Right. There's there's a flow with how they do it. And they really pull for each other. And they're really close. And like I was going nuts when there was, for one day there was a rumor about a Harden trade and Jalen would have had to be in it. I was like, I don't, I just want to root for these two guys. Can, can I just, can I, I was the opposite of what it, when I was throwing you in trade rumors every year. Um, I was like, can I just have these two guys for the decade? I don't really care who else is around them. I like these two, you and Dame, it seems like you've reached that point where it's like, they, as a combo, I think you're going to be remembered for this generation as like one of the combos, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think it's this, the storytelling behind it, small schools, foot fractures, um, I'm the first person to ever draft from Lehigh. I think he's the first from Weber. He gets his jersey retired while he's still playing. I get my jersey retired at Lehigh. We come together. We play well. We're undersized. We're this, we're that. And, you know, eight years later, you know, seven straight years in the playoffs, he, obviously he'll go down probably as the best trailblazer ever. I'll go down as one of the best trailblazers ever. Hopefully we can win a championship. Um, but, like, looking at what we've been able to accomplish, I think it's inspiring for people because it's two guys who have similar games, um, aren't jealous of each other. Our friends actually genuinely get along. It's not forced. There's never yeah. rumors about like CJ this or CJ that or Dame this or Dame that. Like you just know we don't have to fake the funk. Like it, it is what it is and we want the best for each other. He wants me to be the best version of myself. If I can go get 40, he's telling me to go get 40. If he's about to get 50, I'm like, bro, you about to get 50. Like go ahead. Like stop calling plays for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, like ride the wave of how hot you are. And I think that kind of shows where we're at and how we were raised. It's like, I've never been a hater in my life. Like if I never accomplished individual accolades, like I'm okay with that because I signed up for a team sport. I get paid extremely well and I do my job every night regardless of circumstances. And I think we've gotten to that point early on in our career where it's like, there's enough out there for everybody. Let's, let's figure out how to eat together. Well, and you're both pros. And I mean, pros by like, if you go to a game, you guys are pros. You're just, you're there to do a job, you do it. There's a seriousness to it that you can sense. Whereas like some other guys, especially younger guys, there's a focus with the Portland team. And that's why it's been so interesting to watch the the supporting cast. It keeps changing, evolving. This guy get hurts. You, you guys have terrible luck. I don't know what's going on with, uh, with all the injuries over there. Even you go back to two years ago, like Cantor playing with one arm and little stuff like that. It just seems like you guys can never get healthy. Last year you had uh Dame got bounced for a little while. You had to scramble back just to even make the playoffs. But I injury luck is such a big piece of this. And I don't I don't know when you guys are gonna get the injury luck thing figured out. Yeah, availability is huge. And we've prided ourselves on like being on the court and staying healthy. And then freak accident comes, Nurk breaks his hand, swiping for a ball, Zach gets hurt, and then it's just like the banjo's playing again. It's another season where we're on the scramble where we we could, looking at our schedule and who we've played thus far, like looking at our record where we're at, it's like, hey, if I could have just stayed healthy, where would we right. be at? 
if Nurk could have stayed out, oh my goodness. But it's just like if one of us could have just been out there alongside Dame, it would have made a huge difference. But I think it just builds character, man. It allows the younger players to get a chance to play, right? I think my career was started on a Wesley, Wesley Matthews Achilles tear. Mm. West Achilles. I still don't play much because we traded for Aaron Apollo. Aaron Terrace is a rotator cuff. So they have to play me. So I think a lot of these situations is unfortunate, but me getting hurt gives Anthony Simons more money, um, more money, more money, probably more money too, more minutes. Gary Trent, <laughs> probably more money and more minutes. Nas is starting to play. He scores 30 last night. So like it shifts your team. It gives people another opportunity to kind of step to the occasion. So then when we all come back, they should be more comfortable in expanded roles. And we went through this, we went to the conference finals. I end up tearing my pop Lydia's uh, going up for a layup guy, guy, uh, Jacob, Jacob Poto or whatever his name is, like catches my leg and I'm out for three weeks and we end up coming back and making a run without Nurk. And then Ennis is playing with one arm. So we, we, we gain depth and then we hopefully Rodney finds a rhythm. Those guys can find this rhythm during this time, this month or whatever it is. So that when we come back, we're in a different spot and that, and then role players are ready to really impact meaningful games. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe Spring. On the way, warmer temperatures, more time outside, more time away from your home. Do yourself a favor. Make sure you're doing what you can to protect your place and get a Simply Safe home security system, comprehensive protection for your whole home, a great way to keep you and your loved ones safe. What if you're going out for Easter for six hours? You don't think the burglars are going to figure that out? That y'all y'all packed up your car at like 1130 on Easter and you drove off somewhere? Yeah, all they need is an hour. I'm not the only one singing Simply Safe's praises. Simply Safe, named best home security system in 2024 by US News and World Report, recognized for the best customer service in home security by Newsweek. Protect your home today. I use Simply Safe and love it. My listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when they sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash BS. Don't wait. That is simplysafe.com slash BS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. So you're a student of all this shit. The, the dirty CJ McCollum secret is you easily would have just been a media guy if you weren't a basketball player. You would have been, you'd be working for like the athletic covering like the Utah jazz right now or something. You, you were in college. And I remember we talked about that, that first time, like you, you were like, I want to work for Grantland someday. Uh, I want to, I want to be right or do pot. And now you actually have a podcast. Now you're in this world and there's so many stars and role players or whatever, who are also like characters, either they're a character on their Instagram, they have a podcast. Um, they have YouTube stuff, whatever. How have you navigated that side of it? Because I know you're so fascinated by it. It's been fun, man. And, and I always joke with people for a while, I was known more for my journalism and broadcasting than I was for being an NBA player because I got hurt early. Yeah. 
I was doing Series XM Rookie Diary. I had a I had a gig with iHeartRadio, or I had a a daily I had a daily talk show, and then I had a Jamie 1075 playlist where I'm making playlists. I'm on the radio every day on Portland's number one station, hip hop and throwback. So I was doing all of that stuff early on in my career, and then I kind of phased into you know writing writing for the Players' Tribune, doing that type of stuff, covering stories, talking about the league, writing for Sports Illustrated for kids, and writing for Maxim, Vogue, whatever, you name a magazine, I was writing for them. And then I transitioned again from there to to continue to try to expand on my journalism degree to, like you said before, doing podcasting. I uh, I invested in the Players' TV and signed an agreement to, to do Remaking America, which takes me to a whole new level of life outside of sports, uh, discussing different events, things that are going on in this world and how we can kind of help shift and, and essentially remake America, make it make it different than, than the new way we're used to and kind of make it better while highlighting you know, certain certain uh, areas of, of concern, whether that's police brutality, whether that's uh, police reform, uh, education reform, voting, things of that nature to kind of highlight some of the issues we have in America. So I, I've, I've evolved as a man, I've evolved as a basketball player and I just like telling stories. I like sharing information with people. And I think um, being able to kind of connect on that side, as you talked about, people know me because they watch the TV, right? But a lot of people stop me while I'm in New York City and say like, hey, I listen to the Pull Up podcast, which is cool to me. It's like, it's almost like being a rapper, right? And somebody like knowing your lyrics, you know, because people listen to, like, listen to you. Yeah. And it's kind of flattering. It's just like, wow, you really take the time out of your day to listen to, to like me talk about sports and share wine and, and tell stories. And it's just really cool that we can connect on that type of level with the masses. I think it's just a unique opportunity and shows where the world is at today. Um, so I listen to two, three, four podcasts a day. Do you, um, do you feel like there should be more of a buffer between the players and communicating with, uh, with the public than there is right now? Cause I was thinking of it. We were taping this on a Thursday or on Tuesday when LeBron had that thing with the courtside lady, the courtside Karen yesterday and all that stuff. And they're going back and forth. And I'm almost thinking like, this is just crazy that this lady thinks she can start yelling at LeBron in this way and take her mask off and all this stuff. And it almost, and I started thinking about big picture. It's like, people feel like they know the players in this way. Like they can just talk to them like that. When I was growing up, going to the Boston garden, you, there was this clear delineation between the fans and the players. You yelled insults, you heckled stuff like that. But now it's almost like she felt like she should be interacting with, with LeBron. And I was like, where are we going with this stuff? People feel like these players are like in their lives and their friends. I don't know. I just thought it was really weird. Yeah. I mean, I think some people cross the line. There's certain things that can be said in in this situation. I don't know what happened. I've read the articles. I thought it was pretty funny. It was. I think in certain circumstances and instances, people cross the line. They they feel like since they paid for their entrance into the arena, they can do, say, express however they want. And that's true to a certain extent. But then there comes a time where we've seen in Utah, we've seen where certain things are being said that shouldn't be said. Maybe you're talking about somebody's family. Maybe you're talking about somebody's race. It's derogatory. It's racist remarks. Or you're getting too close. We had an instance where IT, I think when he was in Boston, he had to walk up on a fan because the fan was talking so so crazy to us to yeah. where it's like, look, this is me doing my job. You know what I'm saying? You have a right to cheer for your team. You can say what you want, but keep it respectful because if not, I'm still a man at the end of the day. Like, like I got a wife to talk about my wife. We're going to have a problem. I got yeah. a mother. I got, I have these things to where this job is great and I love it, but like I'm protecting them over, over anything, any means necessary. And I think people forget that. Like, 
these guys, LeBron is 6'8", 6'9", 270, 287% body fat on a bad day. This isn't a normal man you could just, you think you're just going to beat up. Like, if you've seen him in the street, like, are you talking to Dwight Howard, like, this reckless when you see Dwight Howard walking down the street? You know what right. I'm saying? The, the switch has to go on for people because you could really get hurt. Like, Ron Artest is not the only one that, that would do something like that in this league. Like, and I think people need to understand that, like, there's a, there's a point in which you cross the line. Like, don't cross the line because if you cross the wrong person, like a James Johnson, someone who's trained to really fight and they catch you outside of this arena, you're going to have a real issue. Is James the number one don't fuck with that guy guy in the league right now? I feel like he is. He's top five and he ain't five, four or three. So I, who, who else do you have? Who do you have in the finals against him? I mean, he, he's like, he's like the, the one who is a quiet calm. So like, you know what time it is because he's quiet calm. He doesn't start stuff even though he's capable of finishing it. with, with Stackhouse is like that too. Yeah. That's right. like Stackhouse mold. And I think he's like 20. No, like James Johnson has professional fights under his belt. It's not like a, a a story of people just saying like he can fight. It's like, no, he's actually been knocking people out for real, like in real fights. I feel like that's one of the reasons the Mavs got him. Because remember, one of yeah. the Morris brothers was messing with Luca last year. And all of a sudden now James Johnson's on the team. Like, yeah, we're going to keep James. Yeah. And Don't mess can, with Luca anymore. But there's, there's a lot of guys, like Dane boxes a lot. Like I box. Yeah. So it's 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 one thing for you to like fake like you can fight. It's another thing for you to really know how to fight and then you to actually be boxing too. So there's a lot of guys who do stuff like this and people don't know. And it's like some of these people are like really they can really get interactive with you however you want if you want to do that. Um you playing with Carmelo now for how many years? Two years now, basically? Basically. Like, you got yeah, twenty four months. COVID's been a year and a and a year some change. So pre COVID and post COVID. Um What's the biggest biggest surprise for you being around Carmelo every day? Because obviously you grew up, you're going in the 2013 draft. That was when he was at his height. He's one of the uh, best scoring forwards the last 25 years, and now you're you're on the team with him. I think how down to earth he is. Like, I've known him from afar. We work out, work out together in New York a lot. Both work with Brick. Um, we played in, in pickups. I've recruited him. So, like, I've known him. But to be somebody's teammate, like, you know him on a different level. It's like a it's more than a coworker because you travel with him. Yeah. In the locker room with him. We, t- we go in the steam room every day. We drink wine most nights. So like I get to know him on a different level, but just how, um, how down earth he is, man. He works hard. He works on his game. He takes good care of his body. He's at that point to where he's 18 years in. He could throw in the towel if he wants. He has enough money, but he still has that passion, that love for the game. He'll play one-on-one with the rookies. You know what I mean? Like he just loves to hoop. And I think, from the outside looking in, you hear about Melo, you hear about like his time in New York, you see the game winners, you see the 62 points. Like you just think of him at like to that light. And it's like, no, he's just a, a really good dude. Like down to earth, watches his son's AU games on his phone. Like he watches his, his, uh, his team on his iPad. Like he's constantly connected to the youth, trying to make them better while still, you know, being a walking legend. Yeah. It was weird how he just got kicked to the curb. I never understood it. And then there was, it, well, there was this whole thing with him where it, then it was like, no, he was never that good to begin with. I was like, what are you guys talking about? The guy, he, was one of, he was, I think, number two for MVP in 2013 or two or thing. I think I voted for him second. But it's sometimes things swing too far one way or the other because this happened with T-Mac too. Um, certain guys, I didn't feel like, I'm not the hugest Dwight Howard fan, but Dwight Howard is the best center in the league for like seven years. You can't take it away from him. 
But right. it is funny how shit swings back and forth. You could feel it happening with Dame a little bit sometimes, right? Where they, there's always this thing with Dame, like, ah, well, he could never carry a team to the finals. It's like, Dame's really good. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I don't know. It's it's weird, man. I always say comparisons to Thief of Joy, they always try to compare everybody. Like, Melo in his own right compared against anybody is a Hall of Famer who's done a lot of things no one else can do. Since he came in with Braun, Braun is the the one they yeah. want to compare. There's only one LeBron James, right? There's There probably would never be another version of him. So, like, everybody's trying to, like, so now for Dane, you got Steph, right? You got Dane, who's arguably one of the best point guards to ever play one of the guys who's revolutionized the game. And you got Steph who shifted the game completely. No, <laughs> back-to-back MVPs, unanimous, all that stuff. We play against them all the time. We're in the West Coast. So it's always this, can he do this? Can he do that? Well, such and such did this, such and such did that. It's like everybody's situation is different. Just let them be great in their own right. Appreciate their greatness. Compare them when they retire. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like, let them finish their whole body of work. And then maybe go back and, and look at it and say, well, that, that he did this, he did this. But... Yeah, it's it's a what have you done for me lately league and everyone is is quick to say he's the next thing and everyone's quick to say he's done and it's like well he's not the next thing yet and he's not done yet so like kind of wait it out and like let people let people develop into who they are i think that's the- this this is my biggest weakness with my podcast is i overreact sometimes and we did a podcast thursday and house and i were talking about how washington to trade beal because it looked like westbrook was breaking down physically was the same guy. And then Sunday night Westbrook has like 41, 13 and 12 against Brooklyn. And we're like, Oh my God, what this guy looked done three days ago. Now he, now he looks fine. Now I feel like an idiot, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's part of the problem is just the way the basketball cycle is now where like today, what's wrong with Dallas? What's wrong with Dallas? And it's just like, you move on to these touch point questions. People got people like me have to lead their podcasts with it. Sometimes you know, and then it's sometimes it's, hey, it's time, time to figure out where CJ McCollum should get traded. Yeah. <laughs> Top five CJ McCollum trades. I might just do it every, maybe I'll just pick a day where I do every year. I just make up five trades just so it's like a running joke. Like a be holiday. careful, man, because when y'all put me in the jerseys, my mom thinks I'm really getting traded because they'll, they'll like <laughs> spot me and then she's calling me and I'm like, mom, like, I don't, I think when it's serious, like I'll get a call when it's serious. Okay. Like, I don't think it's serious yet. Like, relax. So you guys, you guys are scaring people. Like people that I know. Just, like using social media, they see me in like a Rockies uniform or they see, I'm from Ohio. So my, my dad reads the paper every day and then I'll be in the front of the paper and it'll be like, Kevin Love, this guy, this guy, <laughs> Drummond, McCollum. And I'm like, my, my dad has to read the repository. So like, they got to stop doing this to me. Well, you know what the problem is? Like, especially in a podcast, it's long form you're, you're presenting all the nuances with whatever you're talking about. Right. You're not just being like, uh, like you're actually like having a conversation about it. And then when it gets aggregated, it's just like the nuts and bolts of they grab it quick, this one piece and you kind of lose some of the nuance, which sucks, which, which is what I'm about to do with you with this question. Now that enough time has passed, you're kind of psyched that the Warriors, the KD thing blew up in Golden state now, like, like, like as a Western conference competitor, it's nice that he only passed through there three years and then he left because if he was still on that team and they had just figured out how to keep, I mean, that, I think that goes, I don't know for how many years it was as a competitor, you have to be pleased that he's no longer there. Yeah. I mean, I didn't want him to go there in the first place. And I told him that, and there was a big, people made a big deal about it. And that's just, yeah, that was me. a good podcast moment. <laughs> it was pretty hilarious. And that was just my, like, 
my opinion, like I'm not him, I'm not them. I can't really speak on that. But when someone asks me about how I feel, I can say, I wouldn't do this or I wouldn't do that. But we're also never in that position to have to make a decision. But I mean, he, he seemed like he got what he wanted out of it. He was able to play on that stage. He hit some big shots. If he doesn't get hurt again, they win that championship too. I believe they come back. And then yep. he, he either decides to leave or he decides to stay. But I think for him, I'm happy for him. I, it sucked for us because we had to play against him. And they, they stole one, they stole one of our, they wasted one of our years. <laughs> but I think what he was able to accomplish was great for him. Um, is the rest of the NBA probably happy? Yes. But I mean, what they have in, in Jersey or Brooklyn, Brooklyn now, it could be something really special. So maybe they'll do something similar to, uh, to the Eastern Conference teams and they'll uh, steal Jaw and Beach Thunder. They'll steal your Celtics Thunder and uh, they'll, they'll take away some conference championships from Giannis. But I, I think for me, I'm at that stage where I don't worry about none of that stuff, man. If, if the guys want to, if guys want to make themselves happy and, and play with each other, like that's fine. Uh, I just want to prepare and bring the best version of myself forward. Like, I just want to be the best me every night leave everything I got out there. And then when I retire, I walk away saying I did all I could. Brooklyn's going to do something special. They're going to give up the first game where two guards score 60 points on the same team against them. It's going to be you and Dame. I think, I think they, I think they could give up double 60 point games. Have you seen their defense so far? It's a catastrophe. I love watching them play. I'm a league pass junkie, but like watching him, Kyrie, James sat out the other night. I was mad James sat out. I was like, bro, I need to see, I need to see like everybody playing together, but they do give up a lot of points. Well, what's fascinating about it is crunch time. They're basically playing KD at center and they're playing Jeff Green at the four. And then they, you know, going a little smaller and Kyrie and Harden and whoever the swing guy is. And it's like, I'm watching it going, I'm pretty sure. KD didn't come up with this whole master plan. So he was going to be the crunch time center. This, this isn't, so I, I'm, I know they'll end up getting a buyout guy or something like that, but, um, it's like an old school 1980s team. Yeah. Nobody's gonna be able to stop them. I'm not sure they're going to be able to get stops either. And as you know, like the, the finals always comes down to who can get the stops. That was the reason the Lakers won last year. That's you, you I- felt it firsthand. Their defense when they ratcheted it up was really special. And that's why they won. And they got a five, they got a four or five that can guard one through five, which is very like AD can guard everything and he can trap. And then they, their role guys, like when you got Caldwell Pope shooting 47 from three, you got yeah. Kuz hitting threes, you got Caruso playing hard, hitting threes, making the right decisions. Like they're a hard team to beat. And I think Brooklyn's going to, they're going to make a move. Like JaVel McGee, they're going to go after somebody. There's a lot of rumors out there. I'm sure you're coming out with some trade ideas on who they should get, but they, they're going to need somebody at some point, but it's not going to really shift the landscape. It's just going to help their rotations a little bit better to where, like you said, but they, they had the guy though. They they had to trade him to get, to get the guy. But my thing is, did they though, they're throwing seven picks and then they, they trade Jared Allen. They get like this non-lottery pick that is a Milwaukee pick. That'll be whatever. And it's like, really? Like, Give them three million bucks. Give them more future picks. I don't know. I would not have traded Jared Allen. Yeah, Jared Allen is a great player. He's going to make a lot of money um, mm. soon. But I think they probably just wanted to get off that contract because they, they felt like – look at their books. KD's going to be up soon. Kyrie's going to be up soon. Well, they got rid of Prince's contract in that trade, which I think maybe that was a piece of it. They should have swapped and got JaVale McGee when they gave up Allen. I would have tried to get another player in return. 
they must have something up their sleeve. I can't remember. I can't imagine their KD at crunch time as the five is going to be the solution for them for four straight playoff rounds. Especially Embiid. Yes, I don't see it. Well, that's the other thing, and this is I've been thinking about a lot with the Celtics. Like, if Embiid is going to, if this is just who he's going to be this season, this is a whole different monkey wrench that I was not expecting. And if he plays you know. like this, this is gonna this is gonna mess up the uh, Celtics championship window. It's it, which was already messed up, but yeah, you know Embiid. Embiid would give you a good quarter and a half, but he wasn't playing all four quarters at a certain. Le- and now it seems like he can, he can actually play all four quarters. Is it Doc? Is it Doc? Is it the offense? Is it? Is it I think Arch- he. Sh- I honestly just think he showed up in better shape. I think he was embarrassed by the bubble last year and all that stuff, and yeah. probably yeah. had enough time to do all that. So you're watching all these league passes that actually like weirdly beneficial to have three weeks off during a season where you can watch games and scout teams and stuff. So much basketball. My wife is like, are you watching games again? It's like phone, laptop, TV, all of it's muted, random. Like I might have one thing on. I just love it so much. Just seeing there's so much talent. There's so many great players out there who I enjoy watching. Like I I talked to Vic the other day, Vic's in Houston now. Like there's so much movement to where, I get to watch John Wall play basketball again. You know what I'm saying? Like, I haven't been able to watch him. I get to watch Brad one night. I get to watch Russ go play against KD. Like, then I get to watch Dame go hit two shots from 40 feet. You know what I mean? And and win a game that, like, you probably shouldn't have won. Like, it's like every night is something crazy happening. And then, like, even I talked to KD. The, The crazy thing is it sucks that we don't have fans, but the level of, like, focus that everybody has right now, like, when they step on that court, there's no one there. There's no worry about tickets. Everybody's really locked in. Like, yeah, people are shooting like ridiculous percentages and all that stuff. But like, the the, the level of focus has gone up because we just know you can't go anywhere when you leave the house. You can't go anywhere when you're on the road. You can't do anything. All you can do is go to the gym and then go back to the arena to test. And everybody's really focused in on this like 62 games. Let's get through it. And I think we're getting some really great basketball. It's just a shame that our fans can't uh, be here to watch it. How much has the the bench chatter and the bench cheering and the bench heckling affected the competitiveness in a good way. Cause there's been moments where you can tell like the, like somebody misses a free throw with a minute left happened in the Celtics the other night and the whole bench on the, on the Lakers side went crazy, you know? And it, it just seems like there's more shit talking than there's ever been. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Cause there's no fans. You can hear everything. Like, so when we play against a guy that can't shoot, I'm like, hell no. Right. <laughs> and you can actually hear it. And I think that's the psyche part of like when the playoffs comes and the guy is wide open and he's not really a great shooter. That's when, when you have fans, he probably was missing it, but now it's empty and it's like, he's with us. Like people just the dream on it, all yelling crazy things at guys that can't shoot. So it, it kind of messes up the psyche. But like even going back to the bubble, we played the Clippers. Dane misses those free throws. Dame's 90%. Missed those yep. free throws and Patrick and them is laughing and all that. And then Dame goes and puts up 60 the next night. Like, it's just, it's <laughs> the anger, the anger that you get from people criticizing you, talking about you, whatever from the side. And then it's just like the pettiness that you'll see from like Clay and Draymond when like a bench guy just trying to talk, you know, just trying to stay involved with like his teammates. And then they just, no filter. Right, do you feel like the Clippers thing is an official feud? No. No, and, be, and by basketball standpoint, no basketball feud. We never, we don't have any basketball feuds. No, man, that was just a moment. That was a okay. fun moment in time to where 
we were in the bubble. Tension was high. Testosterone was at, at the all-time high. It's going to probably be a, a boom of bubble babies from all the guys. <laughs> but like the, it was just a lot going on at that time. But like I got a lot of respect for those guys. Um, I like I like obviously Nicholas Batum him there him there now. Like he, he said, their team is completely different than what they were like during those moments. They learned from that. Um, although they did blow a three one lead, I think it was for the better. Like they came in, like they look focused. They look like they're a different team. I'm a big Lou Will fan, so being able to see them, some of those guys, I like I like Kawhi a lot. Like his work ethic, he's just all about his business, but has a like, funny sense of humor that no one really knows about. And, and PG is playing at an elite level. Like the way he's playing right now, like that that's probably the, that hitting the side of the backboard is probably the best thing that happened him in a long time. Mm. In those playoffs, like seeing that that struggle. Because it either brings the best out of you or you crumble. And I think he's showing – he was 50-50-90 for a while. Like, elite. That's stupid. Well, it seems like the peop- the teams that made the Final Four last year were all teams that were pretty close and had good chemistry, which, right. you know, you guys got bounced, but you were so banged up by the time we got halfway through that Lakers series. But you, you have a similar team like that too. And it, it was interesting that the bubble was so intense – that it either brought these teams closer and in some cases it just seemed like it broke them. And the Clippers seemed like one of those teams that they had a lot of shit going on and it all kind of came to the surface. But as you look back now, it's been a, f- a few, few months since the bubble. Like what's, what's going to be your big memory 30 years from now about the bubble? I mean, the funny part is we'll probably end up going back, but I think just the storytelling, the the camaraderie, like the dorm room, like atmosphere. Like, I don't think there'll ever be a time in my life where I go to the, I go like down to eat at, at my hotel, quote unquote, like my home. And like, I see DeMar going on a, on a walk with Rudy Gay. I see Pop over here. I see, I see uh, Pat, <laughs> Pat drinking at the bar. I see like guys from other teams coming. I see CP bringing his team in to do like a wine tasting at our hotel. Like you just see all these different guys that you would never normally see, like in their, in their most comfortable element, like yeah. unbothered, unworried, like no media, nobody there to sign autographs, nobody sneaking pictures of you. It was like the most authentic basketball environment. Granted, you'd rather have your family, your dog, whatever, your loved ones, your wife, whatever. It was just like, literally like you just hope. And you worry about who. Like, I remember getting treated from my back at 2 a.m. after games. Like, I would shower, ice tub, eat, and then I would lay on the table and get treatment from my fracture, from my fractured back. 2 a.m. Wow. Like, when did you ever do that? Like, when would your staff ever be, like, so bored and so in, in tune that they just want to work on They have nothing to do. Literally, it's like... A, it was almost like a giant AAU tournament with better, better uh, facilities and better food. Yeah, I was playing 40 minutes a night with a broken back. And like long stretch, like you would never do that. Like forty something minutes, playoff intensity. Because if you lose, it's over. Like playoff, yeah. intensity, you try to get into the playoffs. You get in, and you're just treatment round the clock. Ice treatment, treatment practice. So you're your pro playing game because that was really fun. I really enjoyed the Portland Memphis playing game. Was a oh, delight. Yeah, that was cool. Because because we're gonna see it this year. One of the interesting things about this season, especially because it's shorter. There's going to be teams in that seven to ten range that I don't think people realize yeah. are going to be in that set. Like you could have the Heat as like a nine seed having to win two straight just to make the playoffs because all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. there's going to be ten games left. We'll be like, wait a second, we could be a ten seed. We keep this up. So like, it's yeah, but you you you'd be the ten seed. Nobody would want to see. 
Because everybody be healthy at that point. I'm like, oh shit, we got Dame and CJ now. Yeah, it's funny because like a lot of teams are banged up, and, and some teams are haven't. They've been lucky. They haven't had a COVID issue. They haven't had injury, but it's coming. One of them is coming. And you catch, like you said before, like who's going to want to play the Heat when they got they got Dragic back, they got Jimmy back, they got yeah. Houston, they have a full roster. Like who's going to want to do that? There's not a lot of teams. Like who's going to like if we if we stay banged up like this. And let's just say we all come back later and we go on a streak and we, we go on like a Utah Jazz streak. We win eight or nine games, eight or nine games, seven games in a row shifts the whole. You go from 12 to like four, right. 12 to three in a hurry. So like we're all in great spots and I think it's going to make for some really competitive basketball. If we can, if we can continue to get through this, this season. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? This is something I've thought about a lot over the last 25 years. Sometimes little kids enter your life. Sometimes you're just searching for that extra hour. Sometimes it feels like all of a sudden it's three o'clock, four o'clock. And it's like, where'd the day go? I barely did anything. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you so that you can make it a priority and therapy can help you figure that out. A therapist can guide you through the process of defining your values and understanding your priorities so you know what things you can spend your time on that will really fulfill you. Otherwise, you'll always be wishing for more time. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn how to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Bill Simmons today to get 10% off your first month. 10%. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Bill Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Duncan. I love Duncan. Duncan just dropped a new kind of energy. They call it sparked energy. I mean, they have peach sunshine. I'm a huge peach guy. Like peach with drinks, I feel like is one of the most underrated drink combo kind of starter things that we have. Well, in this case, these are delicious. They're packed with caffeine and vitamins and minerals that give me the energy I need to get through the day. And a medium is $3 now through March 19th. So drop by and get Sparked by Duncan. Sparked energy drinks are fruit flavored, contain 0% fruit juice. Beverages contain caffeine from caffeine and guarana. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Have you asked... Carmelo, why LeBron is still able to be incredible in year 18? Like, what the hell is going on? Like, how, how much longer is, is he going to be at the top here? And, and once he leaves, who's next? It's crazy because, like, you always kind of figure out, like, wh- when is the decline coming, right? Like, for, for, like, the basketball body. Remember how they changed the deals where you can't sign, like, multi-year deals after this year? But it's like, he could play for as long as, like, the way he's shooting the ball now. Because I thought, like, later in his career, he would shift to a post player. I was thinking like, oh, he'll just he'll just bat guys down and get twenty and ten. Like he'll just yeah. play in the post and it'll be an easy twenty and ten with, with like Carl Malone, late Carl Malone, something like that. Right. He's doing the opposite. He's dribbling more. He's running more pick and rolls. He's shooting more threes. So it's like if he does, if he if he shifts his game like this to where he still can dunk and still can move, he'll play for like, what is Brady forty two? Like he can play. He can do five if he shoots the ball like this. He can do five more years easy because his jumper is going to be so reliable. And that's the difference between like longevity, like Vince Carter. When you shift your game and you turn, you learn how to shoot. Yeah. You can, you can literally 
be whatever you want to be if you can handle the ball and pass like he can. So I think he plays for sure until his son's in the league. And then from there, it's just a matter of how does he feel and what is he trying to accomplish? I think the greatest thing that ever happened to him was the last dance and the MJ love fest for six weeks, because I think he's somebody that over and over again has really thrived on having some sort of incentive or slight, right? Like Mm -hmm. when Curry won the two MVPs in a row and everybody was Curry, 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 we love Curry. And he took all of that personally and they ended up winning the finals. But, and then KD goes to the Warriors and now he's got to get over that hump and there's a, he, I, I've always said, it, it seems like he's always, there's always this new carrot that he gets to chase. And then the MJ stuff was great. Cause I feel like watching LeBron, I don't think this is the best he's ever been, but I do feel like he, he is in the most command of what he knows he can do and not do. Yeah. You know what I mean? I still feel like the second year in Miami, LeBron no, athletically was out of control. He'll never I never say never, but like that, that LeBron was like angry, but focused 42 from three jump from the free throw line, defensive player of the year. Like that was the most focused and angry he's probably ever been. He's still focused, but I don't think he has that same anger. His maturity level is understanding. Like you said, his command now is ridiculous. Knowing everybody's plays, knowing how to move for his body. He's still not resting. Like he hasn't been sitting out games. The lowest amount of minutes he's played in a long time, but he could be sitting games. He's not sitting games. Like you could tell. Like this is this is. I'm approved. Well, you player. know why? Yeah, he's he wants the MVP. He want he wants one more. He's proven a point this year, and I'm happy for him. I'm happy to see it as a guy from Ohio who's watched him play for his AU team. No one has ever had that type of pressure. No one has been anointed the chosen one so early and lived up or surpassed the height the way he has. I don't think it's ever happened. Like. He was the chosen one in, as a sophomore in high school and has been better than the chosen one, which is crazy. I think the crazy thing watching him now at this stage of his career is the physicality. Like when he's just like, I'm going to the basket. And the amount of muscle he has and just the force and also all the tricks he has, he's basically either getting a foul or he's getting a layup. And the re- and by the way, if he misses the layup, the refs then will call the foul a split second later. Like you're worth, you're worth that mind. It's always going to work out for him. Is my point. Like, and that was what was so interesting last week when Philly played them, and he had a great game against Philly. But Ben Simmons, at least physically, could could kind of hang with them. And that was the first time I really started thinking about, oh, if if it's the Lakers in the finals, Philly. Simmons might be the one guy who can at least bother him. Jimmy Butler was another one who at least wasn't afraid and went toe to toe. But at some point when LeBron, whatever he wanted to do in the finals, he was going to do it. Yeah. I think, I think he, he still has mind control over a lot of those guys, but like Jimmy's different. Jimmy built different, Mm. but Jimmy also can go get you a 40 point triple double, which is, I don't think Ben is at that level yet because of the lack of shooting. I think totally. he can get you to 10 assists to 10 rebounds. And I think that's the difference in their team. If he can get a reliable jump shot, your Celtics are in trouble. But that's a big if. Yeah, it feels like the East is wide open. It, it, I, like right now, everybody's talking Philly, but we, you know, Embiid playing a full season, I want to see it. Playing at this level, playing, being good night after, and I still want to see it. Right. Uh, Milwaukee still feels like they're figuring out who they are. Indiana's had a ton of injuries. We've had some injuries. And then Brooklyn is like the wild card. Yeah, you could tell win. me Brooklyn, you could tell me Brooklyn's gonna win 20 in a row. I would believe it. You could tell me they're gonna be what they are right now and it's never gonna change. I would believe that too. 
Yeah, and it's crazy because like Drew Holiday is going to make a huge difference for that team in the playoffs. He's just kind of feeling his way around right now. Like, all right, I'm, I'm going to play my role. But in the playoffs, he's a different animal. We've, well, you you saw it. Yeah, he, he 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 killed you guys that year. We've seen it. So, like, that's the that's what you guys got to worry about in the East is that Giannis doesn't have to take big shots with him. Giannis just has to play a good game, be aggressive. Down the stretch, Drew and Chris Middleton are taking the shots. Hmm. That's what we've seen during the regular season, at least. I mean, <laughs> that's what I would want to happen if I was – I was a member of that organization. The other know. thing, well, the other thing, just so far, twenty games in or whatever, is the the Jokic seems like he's gone up a level. And he, he got married. This something about getting married, man. He looked thinner. He looked like he dunking more. He, he he's another. It's like a command thing with him, right? He just kind of always knows what he wants to do, and it's always the right decision. But you know, teams now, it seems like they're playing him more in the passing. So he's like, cool. I'll just put up thirty eight. Um, <laughs> And you know the wild card for them is Porter, but he's he's, he's special. And I, I think the funny part is, I always watch the uh, European beef. It's like it's like growing up in the same hood as someone and, and hating them. Like whenever the Europeans play against each other, there's yeah. like this inner like I don't know if it's my country's better than yours or I'm better than you or what. But he took that game a little personal against against Rudy. That was yeah. that was personal. Well, that, Nurkic has that with some people, right? They all do. And they'll go shake hands and talk and, and speak in a, another language to start the game. And then elbows are flying and it's <laughs> cursing each other out. You don't know what you're saying, but you know it's not like, it's not polite. And after the game, they go shake hands and talk about like what they're going to do later. But you could just tell the way he played, that was extremely personal. It's funny. The, my favorite one ever of those was Sasha Vujacic and Goran Dragic who like literally hated each other and they would, every time they would play, they would have to be separated. They would just be yelling at each other in some weird language. Yeah, and uh, you're right. There is, there is a lot of like foreign baggage, all that stuff. Um, before we go, I had to ask you, did you ever see a world like what happened last summer where NBA players were really pushing um, America with social change, all the, all the, all the amazing stuff that was happening in the bubble. Like, did you ever imagine that that would happen in your lifetime? Honestly, no, I never imagined it. I also wasn't sure we would be in this type of position at some point in my lifetime. Like as a, as a guy who wants to make it to the NBA, you make it to the NBA, you become successful. And then like to have what has happened up to this point and while a bit of the NBA happened from a, from a social injustice standpoint to a, a lack of, liability and accountability on law enforcement on certain people in positions of power to seeing like what can happen with COVID, seeing how it can be mishandled from the highest levels. Like this, this combination of just things you never thought would happen or never even thought about, like literally happening all at the same time. It was just, it was unlike anything I've seen, but I credit the NBA, I credit the players. I credit everybody who's used their platform um, to collaboratively figure out ways to improve society. I think that's what, that's what we should all be trying to do. You know, we, we all hoop, we all want to take care of our families. We all want to win championships and do that stuff. But I think we have a responsibility to leave the world better than we found it. And I think a lot of guys and women are doing that, especially the, the W players. They've done a great job of really speaking out and, and expressing themselves and using their platforms. And I think a lot of people should admire them and thank them and appreciate it because we're all just trying to make this world a better place for our kids in the next generation. How do you think it plays out next five years from an NBA, WNBA front affecting this stuff? I think they continue to, to become more powerful, um, united. 
um, continuing to spread messages, continue to use their platforms. LeBron's going to be a billionaire in the next three years. So like, just kind of imagine like what he can do with that power. He's creating all these things. KD, they're all creating different things, different avenues to, to not only spread awareness, but empower the youth. And that, that'll continue to create minority wealth. Obviously it's hard to make it to the NBA, but a lot of us come from unique circumstances and situations where a lot of us don't make it out. So like being able to kind of empower, keep that door open, allowing like G leaguers to make more money. Like all that stuff is important because that's money that go back to the communities. That's how you kind of change and shift the culture or a generation or a neighborhood. And I think guys are strategically starting to think like, like Jay Z, like how do I go back to my neighborhood instead of like renting these areas? Like I need to be buying them and then renting them out. Like how do you go back and kind of really take advantage of, you know, what you have? It's, it's just hard for me to believe some of the guys that are coming into the league, how polished they are. And even like when, when we met you eight years ago now, it seemed like in the last decade, and I don't know if it's social media and maybe learning from the mistakes of the of previous generations or whatever, but these people are coming in as finished products. Like, I just know what I was like when I was 22. I, I was not thinking about any of this stuff. You know, you're just trying to survive and try to figure out what you're doing that night. And you're seeing it every year with these new guys that come in and the the people that there are their role models are the people that are doing stuff on and off the court. Right. You now, know, you're exactly right. We're, we're much more advanced, but it's a credit to those that came before us. They've kind of laid the groundwork and it's trial and error. Like I was, I was a little brother. So I got to see what worked for big brother and what didn't work. And I think as, as a generation now, as a group of players, for one, we have the fear of failure. We have the fear of going broke. We have the fear of doing all the things that we've seen happen before us. And yeah. we want to emulate the great ones, the, the guys that have done it perfectly, the junior Bridgmans of the world. Like I, I idolized him because of how he was able to take advantage of his situation. Should he have been paid more and all that stuff? Absolutely. But he didn't make excuses and he doesn't hate on the younger generation. He figured out a way to make more money doing other stuff. And I yeah. think that's how we have to, to really look at this game. It's like, I love this, this game to death. I love sports. I love basketball. But this is a, this is a moment in my life. A small moment if I have a 70, 80, 90, 100 year life to where I want to really maximize this, but like build something else, take advantage of this platform and kind of um, be the guy that they can look up to. Like there's Junior, there was CJ, like those are the type of guys. Like that's how I want to be mentioned. I think you're on your way. Did, did you follow the the stuff last week with Barkley and uh, who was the player? Now I'm blanking. Oh, uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell. Oh, Donovan. And then that turned into that turned into a two day thing about the old guys on TNT and and the older yeah. media members and the younger generation like you guys. It's something KD and I when we did our podcast. He, I could actually like feel the hurt in his voice when he talked about it, where he was like, "We idolize these guys, and then they go on after we play and they shit on us, and they don't seem like they're on our side." I don't understand it. Yeah. Um, do you? you're a media guy who's also a basketball star. Like, where do you stand on this whole thing? I think there's a way to handle things. And I, I talked about this on Bonzi and she's podcast last week. I, t I told him, I said, look, I don't have a problem with what Shaq said. I have a problem with the timing of it. There's a way to be constructive in terms of your criticism. There's a way to kind of empower or even challenge guys. But I think on that stage after the game, Donovan's playing well, he's, he's going to be an all-star again. Like he's having a great year. He's young. He's mature. I don't think that the way he, he did it at that moment in time was beneficial for anybody. I don't think it was beneficial for Donovan. I think it was awkward for the, for the viewers. It was awkward. Well, he's, also, he's got an earpiece. You know how weird it is. You're doing those interviews. You can't even see the people. And 
and that's yeah, thought- in here. Like it's like, come on, man. Like it's I think there's a time and a place for it. And I think I think a lot of a lot of guys mean well, right? And I think they're they're genuinely truly trying to help people. I think I think some of the youth are haters. Like some of us, like, and I'm not a hater, but I'm saying like younger guys hate on the older guys. I think some of the older guys hate on the younger guys, and there's like this envy, there's jealousy. There's a lot of guys that make a lot of money that aren't as good as the guys back in the day. Like there's all of that. And I would probably be pissed off too, but I think there's a way to manage it and a way to handle it to where I, I look forward to like being able to be in that position one day to like show people how it should be handled. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's hard to speak on it because I'm not there, but when I get there, I'll handle it how I think it should be handled. You give credit where credit is due. If you have an opinion about someone, express it. But I think there's a way to be professional to where you aren't challenging people's manhood or challenging people's abilities to that extent on that stage. Talk to like he, he, he could talk to Donovan any day of the week, talk to him about why you don't think he's ready in private. And then if you want to address it in public and y'all comfortable like that, I think that's when you do it. But you could just be like, I don't think that team has enough. He said, you don't have enough. You can't take like, that's like antagonizing. That's like some stuff you read on Twitter. I was watching it and my wife was with me because we were going to, I was watching the end of that game and then we we're going to watch something. So she was waiting and we actually watched that moment as it happened. And she was like, what just happened? Why did he do that? That was so rude. You know, she's just as approaching it as, and I'm like, there's some weird old school, new, sh- new school shit they're trying to navigate. I thought it was very strange. I conversely, they had a really good moment last year talking about Embiid. And how disappointed they were that, you know, for somebody as talented as he was, that he hadn't figured out the piece of, if you want to be great, like what you talked about earlier, if you want to be great, you want to be great every night. And they wasn't there and they had a real constructive convo about it. And that's why I still feel like that show is so valuable. So when they, when they let it kind of slip away with something like that Mitchell thing, it's like, all right, you guys are undermining yourself. Cause it's still, there's still the authority on all this stuff. You know, there's still the, almost like the council. The right. NBA council. So when they screw that up, I always, I always get mad. Yeah. And people love them. Like I love watching them. They're the take on basketball. Sometimes you can tell they, they didn't watch the game or they're not watching, but like you respect them as players. They've gone through what we've gone through. Shaq, arguably the most dominant big man ever. Charles, one of the most dominant players ever. And then Kenny is just like, was a good role player on a championship team. Like that type of guy you enjoy being around. He's, he's matter of fact, but keeps it real. I think they have yeah. a great balance. Ernie's, a legend, but there comes a time where I think certain stuff should be done a certain way. And like, that's just me as a man, like saying that, like, I think right. certain stuff can be handled better, but I, I think as a whole, like my grandma enjoys watching them. You know what I mean? Like they, and people enjoy it. And a lot of people use them as like their only flow of information. Right. Like, like we watch league pass for hoop junkies. We're going to watch everything. Some people only watch the TNT games and only like see Charles Shaq Kenny speaking in that they take their opinions and make their opinions based on everything they see and they say. And that's like the, that's the, that could be a problem. The only old guy thing I completely agree with is when it's a three on two and the two guy, the two guys on the wing just run to the corners, which you do. I'm not, I'm not calling you out. I'm just saying I I'll never be able to get used to that because as somebody who played once upon a time, I know you don't believe I yeah. used to play and basketball. Analytics though. Like I would No, prefer, I get it. I get I, I get all of it. To the basket. They are telling me, stop CJ, shoot the three. So like now I have to reprogram my brain to like, all right, they want me to shoot more threes. Well, but now you see the new guys come in the league and they're programmed on three on twos to go on a 45 degree angle to the corner. 
over just getting a layup. I'll never get used to that. And I get all the analytics. It makes sense. But I'm always like, just do three and two, get a layup. But that's just where basketball is now. And it's good for you and Dame. I, I mean, one of the best things that's happened for you two is the league has shifted toward all the stuff you guys are really good at. It's a you guard now. You can do whatever uh, you want guard. And it's beautiful. I mean, if anything, you... You'd almost want three, you could do three guard lineup and it would be as effective. I mean, some teams are doing that now, right? You could just bring in, if Simons became really good this year, you just play the three of you at crunch time and teams would have trouble dealing with it and the spacing, all that stuff. So, yeah, get Melo out there, get a shooter out there and then a big and you're good. When are you coming back? Ah, when the good Lord says it's time, man. I'm two weeks in. I got, uh, a checkup, a checkup on, I think, the 15th. I got a checkup in like two weeks, 13 days from now. So that'll be four weeks in the boot, and then I progress from there. So we'll see how I, see how I feel, see how I'm moving on the court and, and all that stuff. But I'm, I'm, in, I'm in two more weeks in the boot, for sure. Take your time. Yeah, this is number this three. Is, man. This is my third one. So This is old NBA fan Bill Tucker. Don't fuck around with feet. Yeah, this is, this is third time's a charm. But like this, this one was... A lot easier to deal with than the than the Jones fracture. I will say that. Like, I'm in a boot. I can walk to the bathroom. Like, you you take you take don't take this don't take things for granted. Like walking to the bathroom, man. That's the I can't walk my dog. It's it's two weeks now. I've been able to walk my dog. So like that's the little stuff. Like we get nice days randomly here in Portland. It's the sun's out. And she's looking at me, and I'm like, I can't walk you. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> don't take those things for granted. Those Jones fractures are particularly nasty. Yeah, like I don't know what Jones did to have a fracture named after him that everybody hates having, but um, type of pain, different type of recovery, man. I was like, that was brutal, and that was the first time I was on college campus with crutches and snow. That was the one KD had in OKC, right, in 2013 or 15 or one of those years. Yeah, the refracture weight rates high. He refractured it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, All right, when do you think when do you think we're going to work together? What year? If you had to say over or under. I'll give you yeah. over under 2025. You're running your own stuff now, man. You, you're super, but from from when we started to where we're at now, like we both made some great strides. I've always had a spot for you. We tried to get you at Grantland. We've always, we've always wanted to work with you. So we're in 2021. This is my eighth year. Yeah. 22, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. So sometime this decade. I think I'll I'll play at least. I'm predicting the future. Seven to eight more years for sure. That gives me 15. I always said 15 for sure. So I want to get at least 15 in. So I get at least 15 in and then we'll we'll kind of revisit this in the next couple of years. We'll check in. First of all, you're delusional. You're playing until you're 40. Easy. You you have those extra three years where you're just like 20 minutes a game, occasional heat check guy, spread the floor. You're on like a finals team because they can trust exactly. you. You know exactly who you are at this point in your life. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're gonna have a whole end of your career stage. It's gonna be great. Yeah, I mean, I look forward to it all. Like I always say, I'll play for as long as I can play. Like God willing, if I'm healthy. Like I'll play for as long as I can play. I'll have kids. Like I'll check in with the kids, check in with the wife. Like make sure everything is cool. But like my plan is to play until I can't. My brother's 33 now, and he was like, he's like, he feels great. He's like, I can't wait to see you, like, from 30 to, like, 38 to see how, like, mentally, like, everything comes in the, in the shift with your physical. Well, like, you haven't even done, you haven't even done some of the gimmicks, like, when Chris Paul was like, I'm just doing plant-based diets, and then just got better. 
you you still have like three gimmicks that you haven't even done yet. That's true. So I mean, we can we can always just talk about ways we can collaborate together um, for sure, and then figure out what we're going to do in uh, in the twenty thirties and twenty forties. All right, I'm here. I'm here if you ever need me. It was good to see you, CJ McComb. I hope I hope too. to uh, see you back on the court. Um, I know Portland will make a run. I know whether it's you're a six seed or you end up in that stupid playing thing or whatever, you, you guys will be there in the end. Nobody will want to see you. Uh, sad everybody in Portland for us. I got you, man. And when I relaunch my podcast, I'll have you on at some point. I'm ready. I'm here. All right. Good to see you. I appreciate you. Have a good one. All right. That's it for the podcast. Have another one coming on Thursday. Red hot, smoking hot, million dollar picks. We will have our Super Bowl pick. Can I keep it up? Can I get through the entire playoff season and crush it? We will find out on Thursday. Also, uh, don't forget about sports cards, nonsense. Don't forget about Black Girl Songbook, two new podcasts from the Ringer Podcast Network, and a new rewatchables we did out of sight. We'll see you on Thursday. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.